Are you ready to jump into some true crime docs, crime thrillers, and more? Check out our website for an extensive list of our favorite movies and shows at thesirenspodcast.com slash watch, and find our favorite true crime and thriller books and authors, some covered on the show, at thesirenspodcast.com slash author alley. You can even find special deals for Amazon Music, Audible, Discovery Plus, Paramount Plus, Showtime, and even Grubhub. If you're looking to jump in immediately, check out our pinned Facebook post for some streaming service free trials on us. You're listening to The Sirens Podcast by The Sirens Network. We hope you enjoy. And here's your host, Raven Rollins. everybody. I'm Raven Rollins, co-host, producer, and researcher for Sirens, a true crime podcast, which is a Southern podcast based on crime in Oklahoma and the Texas area, and maybe an expansion into other states in the future. So the podcast came about when I found out that I really liked finding answers to things and investigative research. And finding those minor details that most people miss. And I really liked relaying that information to my friends. Um, And I always had a strange passion for true crime anyway. So one longtime friend in particular, Holly, who is now my co-host, had a passion for true crime as well. And she was working as a lab tech and phlebotomist at the time, which she actually still does. And we really enjoyed discussing true crime together. It was kind of our thing. Like we would get together, we would catch up. Um, whether it was in person or on the phone or just chatting online, we always seem to talk about true crime. We could talk about like just one serial killer or murderer all night long and those little details and the when, what, why, all the questions that we had rattling around in our brain, we would ask each other and, and we would give each other answers and well, maybe it's this and maybe it's that. And anyone who was witness to those conversations would literally tell us, record this. This is the most entertaining thing that I I could sit and listen to this all night long. And that's exactly what we did. So with my research, legal medical skills, her wit and lab experience, we were off to record our first episode. I had been a legal researcher and legal assistant, oh my goodness, for so many years now, since 2004. And when I started, it was in family law. Around 2007, 2008, the lawyer that I worked for made this huge transition into prosecution where she took a job as an assistant district attorney for one of the five tribes here in Oklahoma. And when her career path kind of took a turn to criminal justice, so did my interests because I was still moonlighting for her for several years after her transition while she worked her own cases on the side. And I got to expand my knowledge bank in investigation, forensics, emergency medicine. I actually studied for a year as an EMT basic and then took that training to dispatch where I worked for a 911 call center for several years. Then I married medicine and law and worked at a malpractice firm for about a year. And then... I worked as a surgical assistant for a really large hospital here in Tulsa when I got tired of the Grey's Anatomy life. 
I just decided to continue to accumulate knowledge on different types of cases and criminology just always called me back. I decided that I wanted to pursue that investigation passion and that I needed to try to find a career that would let me do something in the field with criminal justice, law, and investigation while I could possibly work from home. So I went back to school for a year for private investigation, and we covered the basics in criminal justice, criminology, forensics like fingerprinting, handwriting analysis, blood spatter analysis, um, crime scene investigation, evidence collection, of course, stakeouts. But the biggest part of my job was something that I already knew a lot about, which was research. The who, what, when, where, how, and why, and where to find those answers. So I already knew a lot going into it, but there's always more to learn. And that's just what I did in that class. So my podcast, Just After Two Seasons, has risen above and beyond anything I could have imagined. I get to use all the skills that I've accumulated and put it into this love child that has now streamed in over 30 countries. We almost have 100,000 downloads And we've covered well over 30 Oklahoma and Texas criminal cases so far. We have, over the course of these two seasons, spoken to willing family members, friends. Um, We've done personal interviews that we haven't put into the episodes, but we've we've put their information in the episodes. And now we're getting to a point where uh, we may actually get to start interviewing and putting those recorded interviews into our podcasts as well. So we're just growing and expanding as we go. And I get to continue doing what I love. Out of a million other true crime podcasts, the thing that we wanted to bring to the genre that others didn't like as a whole was we wanted to tell as much of the whole story as we possibly could. We wanted to make sure that our victims and even our criminals have a humanizing aspect to them. The things that we found in other podcasts when we were researching podcasts before we started and we were listening to this one and that one and this one and some of them were just so bland, almost like a 10 o'clock newscast. And I didn't want ours to be that way. I wanted to tell a story and bring personality and empathy into our episodes and maybe a little bit of humor. With the career paths that we've chosen, I have a brother who was a police officer. My dad and mom were both paramedics. Uh, My husband is now a paramedic. I worked in emergency medicine for a while. I've worked in hospitals. Um, I've worked in the legal field. We've both seen, sometimes we are the bearer of bad news for people and we've seen people at their worst and we didn't want people to just be their event in life and we wanted to bring their story back to life and show our listeners that they were a wife they were a mom they were a brother or you know they were a son they had a life before and after this horrible thing happened to them And sometimes in these other podcasts, it was just the highlights. It's May 2000. 
12 and so-and-so goes missing and they never hear from him again. And okay, what kind of person was he? Did this person love baseball? Did they have a hilarious personality? Who were they? And why is it so impactful when they're gone for their friends and their family and every life that they touched? And the same goes for our criminals. They were just a person before this, maybe a bad person, maybe a manipulative person, maybe a toxic person, but they were still just a human. And we wanted to bring humanity back into the podcasts. So, and with, with the humor, um, with all of the bad things that we saw sometimes, uh, it is, it's very, very common to see people who work in these fields that use humor as a coping mechanism. We are never making fun of or uh, making light of, but sometimes we're the person that laughs inappropriately because it's the only response we know how to make. And so we, we brought that into our podcast and we have a lot of police and a lot of nurses and medics and doctors and lawyers who listen to this and go, I get it. I, I get this. This is for me. And when we had people do that, it blew our minds that there were so many people out there connecting with us. We really thought that we were going to be doing this, uh, basically in our mom's basement, uh, that maybe our parents were going to be the only ones who listened to this podcast. And then it, it just blew up and it blew up right from the start. And I think that a lot of that and the fact that we focus on Oklahoma and Texas, mostly Oklahoma, and people here can basically look over their back fence and say, oh my gosh, I didn't know that happened right there. And I think that they they like learning more about their home versus, you know, we all have a fascination with serial killers, but Ted Bundy, that was, that wasn't here. And a lot of people, when I mention, oh, did you know there was a serial killer in Tulsa? They just, they don't know these things and they love learning and finding out more about their home. And that has made this such a success. We also wanted to bring public awareness. Something else that other podcasts weren't doing was telling people how to be vigilant. Other podcasts were not giving people resources And we wanted to do that. We wanted to tell our listeners how to have safety precautions. We wanted to explain legal jargon for maybe people who weren't familiar with these things in layman's terms. Stuff like everybody knows the term first degree murder, but not everybody knows what the difference between first degree, second degree, third degree, and what kind of sentence they may carry in Oklahoma. We didn't, we wanted to relay information like that without drudging on like we were just reading straight out of, you know, a book or something. We wanted to make it exciting for people to learn these things so that they, they would know these things for themselves. You know, not everybody knows the difference in an indictment or arrest or conviction or a jury trial versus a grand jury trial. And and these were things that maybe people didn't even know that they wanted to know. And we explain them in layman's so that everybody has an opportunity to, you know, feel like they're on law and order or whatever. (laughs) But we also like to inform the public of ways they can keep themselves safe from resources like Where's your nearest Oklahoma women's shelter if you live in Tulsa or if you live in 
Ardmore or, you know, some, or if you're indigenous, like where, what are your resources for how to report a crime? What if you want to stay anonymous? Uh, what are the practical ways to keep yourself safe by using, you know, like self-defense or safety apps or, you know, down to how to call in a pizza to 911 to get police to your house without your attacker knowing, which is a real call I took, by the way, when I was a dispatcher. All these kind of things like this that we wanted to throw in to these podcast episodes so that you're not only learning what happened in your backyard, but you're also learning how to keep yourself safe, how to keep your family safe. And and I would say because of limited time. If you want to know more about what we like to share in those episodes, just listen to them. You can find us, Sirens, a true crime podcast, just about on any platform now. I mean, we have expanded so much that you could find us on Spotify. You could find us on Anchor, on even Audible now and, you know, learn a little bit more. So your professor asked me a couple questions. And I wanted to share my answers with you. And a lot of those questions actually pertain to what I was just talking about. So let's jump into them. Question, how do you see that social media and mass media has influenced crimes? Okay, so here's the deal. We all love to show off our vacations. We love to show off our kids' soccer games. But when we post on social media, we're essentially letting people know where we are and where we are not at any given time. A burglar can see in that family portrait of you in your living room with your kids that you have a 70 inch television. You have two game consoles. It's really decently decorated. You know that you're gonna find um, kids stuff in there. You know, there's plenty of other goodies in that home. And then when you, the next time you post that your entire family is at your son's football game, it lets that same burglar know that no one is home right now and now might be a perfect time to strike. Okay. So the same can be said of like young ladies that post what club you're in at any given time and stuff like that can cultivate stalkers, rapists, more posting photos of your kids online without security measures is an easy way for pedophiles to obtain new photos and new obsessions. Is it the victim's fault? No, absolutely not. Never. But there are always ways that we can try to deter these quote unquote bad guys from having access to us. So what's my advice? When you post pictures of your vacations, make sure that you do not check in when you're there and that you post them after you have gotten home from them. Never tag yourself or check in anywhere when you're out and about. Don't tag yourself at the bar when you go out, whether you're with somebody or not. And always, always try to make it seem like you're with a large group, even when you're, you may not be, especially if you're approached in person. When you post a photo of your kids or your kid brother, your kid sister, make sure that your privacy settings are friends only instead of public or create a private group on Facebook like I did. I created one just for my son, just for friends close friends and family, um, so that I knew exactly who was seeing his pictures and videos. And I didn't post that on just my regular page. I can add people or remove them at my discretion. I, for the most part, know who has access to them. And when you post those pictures, when you decide that you want to post it on your page and you've set it to, you know, friends only, still keep in mind not to divulge maybe like what school they attend and all these 
first day of school, pictures are, are coming up and it's always them standing in front of the school that they're attending. Oh my gosh, this is such a no-no. Do not let people know what school your kids go to. Your ex-boyfriend might see that and, and think, well, I know exactly where they go to school now. I can just, I can stop there and pick them up from school at any time. That was exactly what happened in the Caitlin Wooten case in Ada. The mom's ex-boyfriend knew where they went to school and went and picked them up from school, said, oh, I'm here to pick them up early. And a lot of schools, ugh, this is the school's problem, but a lot of them just let them go with people. They just say, oh, so-and-so said you could pick them up. That's great. Here you go. Here's these kids. And then horrible things happen. So when you're posting pictures online, Make sure that you don't say, you can say first day of school, don't take a picture in front of the school, take a picture in front of your home, in front of your door, make sure that, you know, your address isn't visible. Make sure that they don't have on any form of clothing from that school that says, you know, being pirates on it. It shouldn't say pirates, it shouldn't say Bing. If you're taking pictures of your kids in their uniforms, like their football uniforms or their cheerleading uniforms, every single smartphone these days has an edit button on the, the photo. You can hit edit and you can blur those things out. Please do that. Please, please, please do that. You do not want a predator knowing when and where they can find your kids. If you bartend or you work as a waitress, please do not post on social media, when your shift begins, when your shift ends, where, what bar, what restaurant. I know because I was a bartender for two years. I know that you want people to come spend money at your establishment, especially people that you at least think that you know. Don't sacrifice your safety for a little extra cash. You never know who's using social media to stalk you. And you have just given them exactly when and where you'll be. They could be waiting for you in the back alley at 2 a.m. Please do not post these things on social media. Don't use apps that show your constant location. Turn off your geotags. Turn off your location tracking on those apps and photos. Don't share pinpoint markers with anyone that isn't 100% trusted like your mom or your dad. And lastly, be so super vigilant when using apps like Uber or other rideshare apps because most people who work these jobs, granted, they're just good people trying to make a little extra cash. But in Tulsa alone, we've had several incidents of murder and sexual assault by the drivers. So if you take an Uber, let someone know that you're starting your ride. You know, carry mace. Use the Noonlight app when you ride. There's so much more I could discuss, but we just don't have enough time. Moving on to mass media, mass media is a whole different story. According to research and statistics from Harvard University, results show that when the mass media covers criminal violence, it influences the probability that other criminals use similar styles of crimes, but it does not change overall rates and statistics of criminal activity. Okay, so this is evidence against the trigger hypothesis and in favor for the copycat. We see this a lot in our own research. Basically, we see that mass media coverage doesn't change a person's desire to do crime, just the way that they do it. But copycats don't just come from mass media coverage. It can also stem from television, movies, books, as seen in the Luca Bagnata case, where he copied scenes from the movie Basic Instinct. 
This is where the importance of statistical data is priceless, because without it, at least I would sit and wonder, am I doing more harm than good when I cover cases like this? Because someone out there has taken the time, sometimes years, to collect the data for us and present it. Statistical data is an invaluable tool. Long story short, because of statistics, I'm not too worried that when I cover a case, someone out there is going to be inspired to start murdering. Question, is there a particular crime you have researched that has stood out to you and stayed with you? Uh, absolutely. A whole lot of them do, especially since I'm homegrown from Ada, Oklahoma, where we have cases like Denise Haraway and Debbie Carter, which is the innocent man, Dreams of Ada. Cases like Rachel Woodall, Caitlin Wooten that I mentioned before. Caitlin was a good friend of a younger brother of mine and actually one of my training calls as a dispatcher. That case actually inspired Caitlin's law here in Oklahoma. Cases like Daniel Furr and Brittany Tiger, all of those cases stay with you, especially when it's from your hometown. You think about them all the time. And this is one of the reasons why I, I started this podcast as well, to tell their stories, hopefully find new eyes, new ears for unsolved cases like Daniel Furs. You know, the more you spread the word, the more likely it is someone will come forward with information. Well, that's our hope at least. And especially if your podcast is from two people from that hometown that have so many cases, so many cases, it kind of means that your starting base is going to be other Aidens and it'll probably, you know, build from there. But if it is other Aidens, then they're going to spread the word. Did you hear about this case? Did you hear about that? Oh my gosh, that was 20 years ago. I've never heard about that, you know, and people get to talking about it again. And hopefully, you know, things will come to light once people get to talking. Another case in particular that isn't from my hometown that stuck with me, it's a Tulsa case, the case of Amber Hilberling. We already have half of the episode for her covered. We hope to have it in season three. But I've actually been doing research on this case particularly because it's such a long, big case. I've been doing research on it for over a year now. She was a young pregnant woman. She accidentally pushed her husband and her baby's father out of a skyscraper in downtown Tulsa, a skyscraper that I pretty much pass every day. And he fell something like 17 floors to his death. She was seven months pregnant at the time that that, that happened to her. And when I started researching this case, I was seven months pregnant. And so I kind of grabbed onto this case subconsciously at first. And I had never felt more, I don't know, in someone else's shoes when it came to cases than I have with Amber's case. Like every revelation in this case, I have felt in my soul down to my core. And there's just so much information on this case. It really has painted a very dark, detailed picture for me so far. And my heart will always be with Amber and her son, Levi. Question, what research resources would you recommend that are credible? So Oklahoma is easy. We have the Freedom of Information Act. And it's so easy here, it's almost insulting to other states. 
Everything here is public. Just about everything. You don't really need to be a licensed professional of any sort to acquire the information that you want. So you want a police report? Whether it's a report you made personally or not, you can go down to the station and request it. In Oklahoma, you can obtain a police report filed by anyone for anything. As long as you know what you're looking for, you've got some sort of details, um, who, what, when, where, why. You can tell them some specifics. They can find it for you. It's yours. Um, you need to see court documents. Go to the courthouse. Request them. That's pretty much all that that entails. You need a 911 call. You can request that. You need inmate or case information, statutes, laws. Um, just go to OSCN.net. This is where you should start any research, by the way. OSCN.net has so many resources and it's so credible that it's pretty much huge part of what lawyers use in their research. I should know. I used it for a lawyer when I was a legal assistant and I still use it today in my research. So you want to know if a person owned a home or co-owned it with somebody else. County Assessor's Office has you covered. Just search their website and boom, you may have just discovered a new associate of that person as well. You need to, um, you want to check for warrants or bookings, get on the county or city police department's webpage. Uh, check the sex offenders registry. Did you know that there's a registry for people convicted of domestic abuse? Well, now you do. Check it. Want to know if someone still holds a license of some sort in Oklahoma? There are official sites online that will let you check things just like that. Doctors, paramedics, nurses, license, so many more licensures. If you have to be licensed in Oklahoma for something, basically there's a website to check if it's still active or not. And some will even tell you if there's any bad marks on that person's license or not. You can literally just Google any of these. You'll find it way easier than you think you will. There's so much that you can learn by using resources like these, um, especially if your case hasn't made the headlines. If your case has made headlines, you should also be using resources like local or national news sources. Usually if something is reported wrong, there is a correction somewhere on that same article. Sometimes you don't get as much detail as you would like, but it's at least a starting point. Wikipedia is, however, allowed to be wrong. I would take Wikipedia with a grain of salt. It can be edited by anybody from anywhere. Really the best use for Wikipedia is clicking on those sources. It cites at the bottom of the page for doing your own research. Sometimes you can come to find Wikipedia being just flat out wrong, which I have done on dozens of cases that I've covered. Uh, we have the Freedom of Information Act for a reason. Use it. In Oklahoma, like I said, you don't have to carry a license. You don't have to be a lawyer. You don't have to be a police officer to get 90% of the information that you need. You just have to ask for it and know where to ask for it. Be weary of things like PACER. So while it is a great resource for federal cases, one hit of that enter button, uh, like an accidental hit, it might cost you a lot of money because it's a paid site. And I forget how much it is, but it is basically 
pay per click. And on the flip side, you could just go down to the courthouse. It might cost you pennies and copies and, you know, just the time it takes for you to get down there. Tulsa has a federal courthouse, but if you have the time for, for federal cases, if you have the time where you can go down to the federal courthouse, you'll find everything you need, everything you need. And there are ways to submit for that information online as well. Go to the federal courthouse that you want it from, go to their website, and there's always a place on there where it says, you know, make a request here. Sometimes you will have to request it and then wait a couple days for them to get it and you can go down and pick it up. Some courthouses, local courthouses for counties are the same way. When you're looking for state cases, a lot of those might be in your county courthouse. I would call down to the courthouse you're looking at first, see if they have that, see if they can get you copies, make a formal request if you need to and they'll tell you how and then go down and pick them up. It's so easy. It's so easy, you guys. All in all, Oklahoma is a state where information is pretty easy to get your hands on. You just have to be willing to look for it, you know, drive to the courthouse or ask for it. If you like to know more about how I do research, you're all free to check out my resources page on my website for all the episodes that we do. Just go to www.thesirenspodcast.com where you'll find the link for the resources at the top of the page. Just click there and you'll see that when I research a case... There's way more than just one link. There's way more than just one resource. Sometimes I'll have 10, 20 different resources on there. And you might see Wikipedia cited on there as a resource. And it's mostly because I use their sources, the cited sources down at the bottom of that page to just research myself. And it's kind of easier for me when I'm making these pages. Instead of copying every single one that I've I've used, I just put the Wikipedia page on there. Just know I'm not using the information from the Wikipedia page. I'm using the cited sources at the bottom. You know, when all else fails, take a deep breath, clear your thoughts, and go back to step one. Even one source is better than no sources at all. Be tenacious in your research. Be passionate in your search for truth. And you'll be surprised at how much you can find on your own. Thanks for giving me this opportunity, you guys, to pass on some tips and tricks. And happy hunting. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this important episode. Catch more from Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?